And uh, I wasn't going to testify. And then I found out she was trying to pin the murder on my brother, who is also a veteran. She was trying to say it was his PTSD that got him to kill her husband. And so when I heard she was trying to pin on my brother, I went and testified against her in court. And she was found guilty and sentenced to 60 years in prison. And so all of that, right, I shared that story, obviously, over an hour um, to explain, like, look, I went through all of these crazy things and I'm still here. And I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I'm not going to, I don't have my Rolex anymore. I don't drive a Mercedes. I'm not hanging out on yachts with millionaires anymore. But you know what I am? I'm a family man. I've got three kids, the fourth on the way. I've got a roof over my head, a vehicle I can drive, and a great job. So it's kind of like, I would share that story just to show people like, look, if I can go through all of that craziness and still come out on the other side, so can you. On this week's episode of Establish Your Empire, I host Andrew O'Brien. Andrew has overcome a life filled with traumatic events, including prostitution, war, suicide, and murder, but has always found many ways to make an impact on others and take care of his growing family. After coming home from Iraq, he's traveled all over the world to speak in front of crowds to talk about his own military and suicide experiences. Andrew also had a seven-figure PR company with a client list that included Russell Brunson of ClickFunnels. He now works for the startup Ruckify, which is a marketplace where you can rent just about anything from anyone here in Austin, Texas. And he's using his PR skills to get Ruckify featured all over the news and to connect others in this very tough and interesting time. You're listening to the Establishing Your Empire show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs, creatives, and future business owners to pursue their passions, grow their organizations, and build their empire. My name is Darren Herman, and creatively, I'm best known for my photography. But business-wise, my claim to fame is growing a company from 15K per month in online sales to breaking the $1 million a month barrier. And I'm sitting down with interesting people to talk about their process, the lessons they've learned, and how they have established their empires. All right, Andrew, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This is my very first virtual podcast, but I have a feeling that I'll be doing much more of these later on. (laughs) So I always like to start off with just a basic question of, you know, tell us about who you are, what you do. And, and why we're chatting today, perhaps. Yeah. So my name is Andrew O'Brien and I'm the business development manager for Ruckify, which is the world's largest rental marketplace, as you can see behind me. Uh, and uh, we're like the Airbnb, but for everything, lawnmowers, kayaks, canoes, treadmills, whatever it is. And so I'm here to kind of talk about what we're doing. Uh, I'd love to you know, hit on how the COVID has, has hit us negatively and how we're adjusting from that. You know, I think we've all experienced that. So just excited to be on here and I'm excited to be the first one to do it virtually. So we'll figure this out. That's right. Uh, which I won't include cause it'd be very boring for everyone, but, uh, we had about 15 minutes, not of Andrew's problems, but my problems trying to get this going, but, uh, we're up and rolling now. So, all right. So like, I know that you guys were Ruckify was, going to do a big South by Southwest launch, right? Maybe talk about what that was and how you've had to pivot from that. Yeah, we're actually, it wasn't going to be South by, we were going to do Austin Earth Day Festival. That's right. My, my apologies. Yeah. Oh, no problem. So the Earth Day Festival was our goal. And the reason we didn't do South by is simply because we're trying to grow grassroots in Austin. 
we didn't like South by is great for an international audience. Uh, and we, we wanted to focus on Austin first. Like we wanted to grow within the Austin community in the grassroots way. So we were going to do, uh, the Austin, the kite fest. We were going to do Austin earth day fest. We were had booths at, um, at like the UT spring football game. We were going to have a booth on UT campus. Like we had, all these amazing plans and they all were destroyed. And right before all this, we had 70 city buses wrapped with Ruckify, which no one is riding on and no one is seeing anymore because oh. no one's leaving home. <laughs> so we had to adjust in a big way uh, with all of this. Right. And it, it definitely hurt us financially. Um, I think it hurt everybody financially. I don't think anyone was prepared for this. So we had to adjust and stop, spending so much marketing dollars and take more of the organic approach of, you know, just taking care of Austin because we knew if we came in and take care of Austin, that Austin will do the favor and take care of us. Yeah. So maybe, uh, and I know you gave a quick intro of what you guys do, but, um, why don't like, so my understanding is basically I have some, we all have so much stuff like that we don't use or we use sparingly or that has value that we're probably not getting all of it out of, out of the value out of it. So what, how is it similar to like a eBay, but instead of actually selling it, I'm renting it, you know, basically I create a listing, I, I take some photos, you know, is, is that kind of the thought process between what, what you guys do? Yeah, it's definitely very similar to that. I always compare it to Airbnb just because it's a little simpler for people to, you know, understand. I think we all have Airbnb on our phone uh, and I'm pretty sure we've all stayed at an Airbnb if we ever traveled anywhere. Uh, so it's, it's just like that, right? You take a picture of your, your treadmill, uh, and you post it up on there. You talk about how much you want to charge daily, hourly, weekly, monthly. You can add special rates. Uh, we covered under insurance. If you choose to have our insurance cover it, any item up to $50,000 in value, uh, it's kind of a combination of Airbnb and Uber Eats. So like Uber Eats, right? You can order food from a restaurant and you can watch a car pick it up and then drive and, and drop it off at your house. Same thing on Ruckify. You can rent from there. You use Ruckify Express, which is our version of Uber Eats, but for rental items. And they pick it up from the person renting it out and you can watch them on the map, drop it off at your house. Very cool. And I know you've actually, you know, I don't want to go like too much in, in depth into everything, but I, I do think it's interesting because it's a new kind of business and new thought process. You know, um, I saw that you posted on social media maybe that you've actually done a couple of these yourself. Maybe give us a you know, overview of what you've done yourself with. So we saw, uh, you know, what we did was we came into Austin and helped gyms out. So we are covered on KXAN because all the gyms had to close down. Right. And if you don't know any gym owners, I promise you they are hurting in a very, very bad way right now, especially gyms that have more real estate, uh, bigger locations. Their rent alone is just insane. Right. And first thing people start doing when they worry about losing jobs is they cancel the gym memberships. Right. So the gyms were hurting bad. So we came in and said, hey, your gym is closed. Go ahead and list your fitness equipment stuff on our app and you can rent it out and make some extra money. Right. And we had quite a few gyms join, but a lot of them, like you said, it's a new idea, right? So not everybody is open to it. People are concerned, well, what if it gets broken? What if it's stolen? Even though we have insurance, I mean, just like Airbnb back in the day, imagine someone saying, hey, you want to rent out your room to a stranger? Like, right. Or, or get, get in a stranger's car for Uber. But like the thing about the gyms, it's not even just for the gym owner, which they definitely need help, but also we're all having to work out from home now. So to me, it makes sense on both sides. Like, and I don't know, 
like I like going to a gym. So like I, I like, let's say I got a treadmill. I would only probably want it for X number of time because then as soon as this is all over with, I'm going to go back to the gym. Right. So renting even makes more sense because I don't want to do that massive investment. Uh, and so like, what does a treadmill go for? Just so I, cause I have no idea what that would rent for. Yeah. So the average treadmill goes for a hundred to 150 a month. Um, and what I did whenever I, we did this, right, we didn't have enough gyms on our platform to fulfill all the requests. KXAM blew us up. We had so many requests for fitness rentals and we didn't have enough gyms to cover it. So I went onto Facebook Marketplace and bought a bunch of fitness equipment, used <laughs> fitness equipment, right? And I probably invested about eight, nine hundred dollars. Uh, and I in my I started my store on Sunday. Today is Thursday. So four days later. I've made $500 of my initial $900 investment, right? So if they rent it again next month, I would have made a profit already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they rent it for 14 months in a row. So one, one I used to actually uh, own a pawn shop way back in college, a uh, nicer pawn shop. And one of the things about those, uh, that it's like a high interest loan, right? 10% a month, super high. It's not meant for a long term. It's like, hey, you need a hundred bucks now, but you don't want to lose your item. Your item's just kind of a you know, make sure that you're going to come back and pay, pay the loan. But, um, a lot of times people just keep doing, you know, it's easy. It's already, they already have it. You know, they they'll just keep on paying, uh, you know, sometimes 14 months in a row, you might get your, your investment on some of these rentals and some will just be that one month, but, um, it will be interesting to see after you guys get more data of like, what is the average, uh, average rental for price points, like a, a treadmill. Because to me, I'm thinking that some people would probably go for a while, like a lot of. So what's funny is we actually have the numbers, and it's pretty even across the board of everything. So everywhere from five dollar rentals to two hundred and fifty plus dollar rentals. Like I was given a pie chart, and it's all pretty even. I mean, uh, it's like almost like a perfect pie, right? Like it's pretty spread out and even. But right now, fitness equipment is running out heavy because. The gyms are closed, right? right it won't right. rent as well uh, when gyms are back open. It doesn't mean it won't rent at all. It just means that it won't be as high of a demand. But one of my treadmills, I bought it for $250 and I rented it out for six months for $75 a month, right? Normally I charge $150, but I give a deal if someone's like, hey, I'm going to rent it out for six months. I don't mind. It's out of my garage, right? I don't have to hustle to get someone else to rent it again. I like long-term rentals because it's a lot less of a headache, but you can still make money on short-term rentals too. So, so why Austin as your first market place? Uh, Austin is one is so tech friendly, right? It's very tech focused. And the, the big major factor is the environmental focus in Austin uh, because renting is good for the environment. If we rent more and buy less, we use less natural resources, which means we make less of a carbon footprint. So those are the two main reasons. Austin is very tech friendly. Everybody here, you know, it's a millennial city, meaning, and, and just to be clear, millennials are people born in the 80s too, right? So <laughs> millennials aren't Gen Z. Uh, it's different generations, but Still, it's everybody in Austin. The average age in Austin, I think, is 32 or 33 years old, which means the average person in Austin has Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Turo on their phone already. So, Ruckify is nothing new, right? It's not a new concept to them. Uh, so, it's easier to adopt. And because 
uh, Austin's environmentally focused. So we do rent out our place. We have a three bedroom here and we're not that far from downtown. So South by Southwest and ACL are very big markets for us when we, when we, uh, and a lot of times we go and we travel. One of my things, and this is what you guys do too, is I'm a big fan of the sharing economy. I go to Airbnb because I'm going to stay in the middle of the city, but also like this house is available and we've kind of, we're not the nicest house on the block by any means because this area is really nice, but uh, we have a lot of entertainment stuff set up and we kind of enjoy hosting people. We're not here, but it's always kind of fun. Like we always leave like a six pack of in the fridge and every single time, not, it's never not happened that that six pack is gone, but there's a new one there. Like they left, you know, it's just really great uh, experience. And we've, we've only had good positive experience. Now we don't rent it out often. So, you know, we're not like a Airbnb business here, but I just like the fact that, hey, we're gone. Somebody uses this and we go use somebody else's place. Like this great, uh, like why have another building? Why have another um, treadmill? Like we don't need to keep print- making treadmills if they're not all being used. So I think the sharing economy is very interesting. I think it's where everything's going to keep going towards. I actually just in general like it, right? Um, so anyway, let's, let's back up into like more about you. So how... What did you do before this job, right? Like, tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah, I've been an entrepreneur for seven years. So I got out of the army in 2011, spent two years jumping around trying to figure out where I fit in. Uh, In 2013, I started public speaking and just became an entrepreneur, went on a uh, world tour for years in a row, spoke on military bases, uh, did a lot with PR, got featured on over 100 global media outlets in three years. And then I started a PR firm, uh, broke seven figures my first year in my PR firm, and two years later, crashed and burned it. <laughs> the life of entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, I'd never made that much money in my life, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, but I, I've run probably three or four different businesses that I would consider successful over six figures, only one seven figure, but the other ones were definitely mid to higher six figures. So they were doing well. Uh, but then my wife somehow kept getting pregnant. And so, uh, you know, every mouth that comes out that you have to feed kind of it gets you worried, right? For moments like COVID, where it's like, man, if I was an entrepreneur and all the money depended on me and I didn't have a big team to support me, like this would be scary because I don't know how I would take care of my family. Uh, and so it's like I had to find out how do I keep being an entrepreneur uh, without being an entrepreneur? You know, that stable paycheck. I guess the best way I can say it is I was a captain of a tugboat, but I was ready to join a ship. Right, something bigger that could become bigger than anything I had ever planned on growing. And I heard about Ruckify and business development manager is an entrepreneur, right? That's that's our job is to be an entrepreneur. And so I was like, all right, this is my opportunity. Like I see this as I'm getting on the ground floor of Uber or Airbnb or Turo. Like I feel like I'm on the ground floor of the next big thing. So I still have that excitement. And yeah, I mean, and you're very much an entrepreneur with with the company. I mean, just seeing what you guys are doing and just coming on this podcast for for example, to, to tout what you guys are doing, what's going on, jumping on the news. I mean, and those experiences that you had with the PR firm are obviously paying off quite greatly because that's basically what you're having to do here, especially without, you know, it's not like you can go meet people right now in person. So you have to kind of do, do it the way it is. But so let's back up there because I want to know more about this PR firm. How did you start that? What gave you the idea? Give, give me the beginnings of that. Give me that story. I think that might be interesting. Yeah. So I actually, uh, I was traveling and speaking for three years, right? And I spoke on military bases all around the world. And 
my first time pitching the news, I got onto an ex-girlfriend's kitchen in her one-bedroom apartment, dimly lit, pulled up my old-school laptop with a camera on it, and just used the microphone from my laptop, not a microphone like this, uh, and told my story of my military experience and, and suicide experience, and sent it to Fox News Austin, and sent it to the Austin American Statesman. And for some reason, they both got back to me. And uh, Fox News Austin interviewed me. And then the Austin American Statesman interviewed me. Fox News was awesome. It did really well, right? It was awesome just to see my little two-minute segment on TV. Uh, but then Austin American Statesman, it was Jeremy in April of 2013. And it landed front page on the Austin American Statesman and a full spread on the inside. And that one media piece was shared all over the world, not just in America, like all over the world. The Associated Press picked it up and shared it everywhere. And that one piece is what led into my three-year speaking career is because people just knew me. And I thought about it. And I was like, man, that cost me nothing. Like it cost me five minutes of my time. I didn't have a nice video set up. I didn't have nice audio. I just shared my story. It was picked up. And then it just led into a three-year speaking career. I traveled to Korea, traveled to Japan, Alaska, Hawaii, all over the United States, uh, Italy. Like I got to travel everywhere. And that was simply because of PR. Uh, and then the government was paying me. Government couldn't pay me anymore, budget cuts and all that stuff. So I had to figure out, okay, I was speaking, getting paid very well to speak. And now government is saying, Uncle Sam saying, hey, can't pay you anymore. What do I do next? And I was like, I don't want a nine to five job at a corporation. So I was like, well, I got myself on over a hundred media outlets in three years. So why not start a PR firm? And I started it. And, uh, my second client was Russell Brunson. And so, oh, wow. yeah. So <laughs> the founder of ClickFunnels, he was my second client and I crushed it for him. And, uh, and then he gave me shout outs, right? And testimonials. And I simply built a business off of his testimonials and shout outs. And, uh, but I did screw up. I made a lot of mistakes, right? Upset some people, upset myself, put my own family at risk. Um, I learned a lot. Uh, I don't think I was ready to own a seven-figure company in the first year. You know, I definitely wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, the growth like that is always very difficult. So why don't you tell us about some of the errors that were made that, you know, so that way some of the listeners might not make those, right? Yeah, I grew up very poor, uh, a very rough life. And so when I started making money, uh, for most people that grow up poor, when they see money, they just want to, they want to feel successful, right? They want to feel rich. I never drank red wine until I started going to masterminds that cost $25,000 a year to attend. And they drank red wine. So I started drinking it. Now I love it, right? But I didn't like it before. But I, I only started drinking wine because it made me feel successful. Because I was like, oh, man, these people are drinking these three, $400 bottles of wine. And so I, I spent money in places that I shouldn't have. Instead of investing in my business, instead of creating a nest egg for my family, I bought a Rolex cash. I flew first class everywhere. Uh, I rented an office in Austin that was 3,000 square feet and I had five employees. Um, so I just wanted that big space. I wanted, you know, I would rent out mansions to do these intensives, these workshops. Uh, I would use the limo service. So they pick, pick up my clients to go stay in this mansion. I'd have a private chef. Like I just, I spent the money to make myself feel good and look good. And, and it was all just a, a PR stunt instead of being smart. Right. So that was my mistakes. 
Yeah, CFO would have helped you greatly. <laughs> so this is actually a very common thing, not only from people who are starting up companies, but I've heard this story uh, for even people that who have sold their companies and then the next person who took it over just doesn't really understand the uh, P&L sheet very well, right? And I totally get it. I grew up poor as well. You, you kind of, you taste some success and you want to, you want other people to know that you're successful. What is funny is after you kind of been successful for a while, you actually don't want, you actually kind of back up. You know, I used to be in jewelry and the richest people come through the door were the ones that you never, you, that didn't act like it because they didn't want people to know they were rich, the real rich people. Uh, and I always paid, I paid attention to that. And the people that were just a little bit, they, you, they, you, could, you would have thought they were the, the, the richest people in town. But they were just barely because they they were showing they were trying to show that they were rich, right? Not that you there's you know there's there's not I mean there is some things about like you know uh, Tony Robbins says you know he used to keep hundred dollar bills in his pocket because he needed to feel that he he had money or that he had some value. So there is some stuff that where it goes it just you know I think life is a balance, right? And you get out of balance one way or another. So how did you so how did you get? like your first and second customer, because your obvious second customer was massive. And I know that he had a big trajectory. Was it like a ClickFunnels story where you were using ClickFunnels and that's how it happened? Or how did you meet him? Like what, what, what happened there? Yeah, so what happened was I was scrolling around Facebook and I saw this kid, Caleb Maddox. And Caleb Maddox is like, at this time, he was like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid that sounded like a combination of Grant Cardone and Tony Robbins. And... uh but he was young. I mean, it sounded like a 40-year-old man speaking at a little 14-year-old kid's body. Uh, and it was absolutely amazing. And I saw some of his videos were getting like a million views, right? But he was still new. And so as an entrepreneur, I was like, this is my, this is my end. This is my way to build a name for myself quickly. This kid is coming up. He's new, right? So if I can be his publicist and I knock it out of the park for him, which I knew it would, who wouldn't want to cover a 14-year-old entrepreneur? Um, especially one that sounded like him. So I was like, this will be an easy sell. So I, I messaged his dad as a grown man. I'm not going to message a 14 year old boy on Facebook. So I messaged his dad and I was like, Hey, you know, I saw your son's video. Let's hop on the phone. I'd like to do PR for you completely free. Uh, no charge, no cost. And I was like, all I asked for is if, and when I succeed a testimonial video saying how much, how it helped you. And they're like, all right, it's not going to cost me any money. Cool. Yeah, we'll do it. No, you know, no investment from us. And within three days, I had him interviewed on Entrepreneur, Inc., Forbes, and Huffington Post. Uh, and, and that was in like three or four days of them agreeing to let me do it. And then they gave me shout outs. And Russell Brunson had already been paying attention to Caleb Maddox. And he heard about me. Uh, and so uh, Russell gotten, got a hold of me. I didn't even know who Russell Brunson was. I didn't know who what ClickFunnels was. I knew the name. You know, when you hear a name, you're like, it's a big name somehow. I don't know how. I wasn't a marketer, right? So I didn't know ClickFunnels. And ClickFunnels was newer, right? It, this was in 2013. Uh, or no, I'm sorry. This was in 2015. So they, but they were still, you know, kind of. It's still, still pretty small. Yeah. And it, it, even his name now, most people won't know who that is. But basically, he, he invented uh, ClickFunnels, which is. Um, not just landing page software, but that's kind of one of the main things they do. A ton of businesses use it to help convert their pages, create websites very easily to do subscription models. A lot of coaches use it, a lot of products. Um, it's very, it, it's massive. And he's also, um, 
kind of a public figure. He speaks a lot, does a lot of things. He sounds like a great person to kind of work with too. Yeah, very, very humble man. Um, very good person, right? And he helped me out a lot. So when he reached out, I was like, look, uh, I'll make you a deal. I'll charge you half of my normal fee. And if I screw up, I'll give you all your money back. And he's like, okay, you know, I've never had someone come at me that confident. And in PR, there's no guarantees. I was guaranteeing results, right? So it's like, uh, this was new for him. He had paid $30,000 a month for a PR firm that got him a few mentions and blogs, right? So it's like, I charge 7,500 for three months and I will get you at least two interviews a month. And he agreed to it. I you know, got him those interviews and then I ended up representing him for another two years completely free. Because all every time he gave me a shout out, I was interviewed on his podcast, his TV, his YouTube show. And if you don't know who Russell Brunson is, he's got a massive like cult following. People listen to him and do what he says to do. And so people started hiring me just because they wanted to use Russell's PR guy. Because like I said, a Rolex made me feel good. Someone using Russell's PR guy makes them feel successful, right? So that's how it built so quickly. That's very, that, that's amazing. And I love the approach of, look, this is going to be my marketing. Like I'm not going to, you're not spending, you probably didn't spend any marketing on Facebook ads and, and Google ads and all this. You were like, I'm going to work this client for a discount or even free in order. And that was your marketing arm, right? He was your marketing arm. Uh, that's, uh, that's wonderful. So let's say somebody like that has a small company, um, online or not, I don't care where, however you want to take it but they're a small to medium sized company, let's go smaller. And they wanted to get noticed PR wise. What are some, um, what do you suggest they do? What are some, what's some advice for them? Uh, um, yeah, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So there's different approaches depending on the topic and, and what you're trying to do. We're using PR in, in a big way right now to help Ruckify grow, right? Because it's important and it's a great story. If you want to use PR, it has, to, I, I like the feel good stories. Those are easy to sell, right? So like we were interviewed on KXAM, which is I think an NBC affiliate here in Austin. Uh, it's a satellite studio in Austin. And they we were covered not because Ruckify is a cool platform. And it is, I think it's a great platform. But if I just hit up the media and said, hey, you should cover Ruckify because they're a cool platform. They'd be like, hey, there's a coronavirus, a pandemic, and everybody's losing their job. Right now, we're not going to cover that. Right. If it was like a downtime where there's nothing exciting going on, that's different. But so instead, I go to them and say, hey, Ruckify is coming in and offering to help all these gyms list their equipment on our platform. We waived our fee. So they keep 100 percent of the rental fee. We cover the insurance of their items in case it's damaged or stolen. And we even pick up and deliver the items curbside and sanitize everything wearing proper uh, PPE. So that's a story where Austin's like, okay, this company's coming in and helping helping gym owners stay afloat. They're helping Austin residents stay healthy and uh, and they're not profiting off of any of this, right? So that's a story. If it's community-driven, community-focused, that's how you get noticed in, in the media is come in and be a savior, be, uh, be someone helping in some kind of way, uh, something charitable, something nice, help people. And the media will cover you and the media covers you that will bring in customers. That one news interview in Austin on some small little satellite station brought in 50 customers in one day. Right. And then it, it hasn't stopped. That was a, a week ago 
uh, over a week ago. And the leads have not stopped coming in from that. Now, is my company making money right now? No, but we're thinking long-term, right? We're not making a profit on rentals right now, but in a few months when this is over, yeah, we're going to take our cut again because we are a business. Um, but for now, we just need more people using Ruckify, understanding it, right? So I think a big mistake a lot of small business people make is how do I make money right now when it should be, how do I make an impact right now so I can make money later? Oh man, that's amazing. I love it. because. And again, that's another marketing. You're just basically, instead of spending you know, five grand on, on, on doing some ads or something, you're saying, okay, well, we're just going to we're going to create a story. The story is free. Of course that you had, to, you're having to take a cut on, you know, not taking that commissions, but man, I, that, that, that's already given me some ideas. So what about PR for somebody who has a personal brand? A lot of people are going to lose their jobs right now. What's some PR, you know, if somebody's already out there doing some stuff, uh, what, what do you do? Some P, what's the PR hacks, tips and tricks for a personal brand? So some personal brand stuff, it, it's more about, like mine was a personal interest story when I first started getting known, right? That wasn't around a business. That was around me as a person. So what I did was I started getting exposure uh, just around my life story. Hey, I, I grew up, you know, very poor. I went to war. I tried to take my own life, um, you know, and I overcame all of that to, to move on and do amazing things in my life. So sometimes when it's a personal brand, it's got to be a powerful, impactful story or some way that you are helping a community, right? They didn't just cover my story because it's like, wow, that's crazy. They covered my story because I was traveling the world speaking and preventing other veterans from taking their own life. And that's the story people want to hear, right? So it's about not just about my story is cool or extreme or dramatic. It's my story was cool, extreme or dramatic, but I'm also helping these people. I think every time I answer this question, it's going to be around impact and helping. That's just what I've realized. Well, I love it, which is fantastic. So let's talk about that of, you know, military suicides. What, what advice do you give that community? You've obviously spoke on it. So, and I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, very versed in that area. So maybe just take it wherever you'd like it. Right. What, what, what would you kind of say? What, what were these events like with it? You know, sometimes it's just, it's not about giving advice. Uh, I stopped giving advice, right? Because whenever I was in that moment, no advice was going to stop me right? No, hang in there. It's going to be okay. It'll be all right. The average response that everybody gives. Uh, sometimes just sharing a story. I was a storyteller. I wasn't a consultant. I wasn't a coach. I was a storyteller. And all I did was share my story. So my story is I experienced four major hurdles by the age of 23, and it was prostitution, war, suicide, and murder, right? So my mom was a prostitute. I was raised in trailer parks, motel rooms, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff growing up. She was not a great woman, not a great mother. Uh, and then not just that she was a prostitute, right? She just wasn't a good person uh, to, as, as a mother. She wasn't a good mother. And then I went on uh, to escape her I, and escape my childhood. I joined the army, served a year over in Iraq as a lead gunner. So I experienced war, right? And uh, came home after a year as a lead gunner in Iraq. And uh, a year after I returned home, I tried to take my own life uh, by over overdosing on pills. Uh, luckily, I woke up in the ICU. The doctor saved my life and it completely changed the way I looked at life. Uh, I got out of the army and about, this, uh, about six months after I got out of the army, my mom killed her husband, uh, shot him point blank in the head while he was sleeping. 
and it was covered all over the news. This had nothing to do with my media exposure. She was uh, known as the Black Widow of Texas. So it was covered on like Nancy Grace, 48 Hours, 2020, all that stuff. And after she killed her husband, she asked me to help frame his ex-wife for the murder. And I said no. I was living in Dallas at the time, moved to Austin to get away from her. Uh, and then uh, three years later, she was finally, uh, court happened. And uh, I wasn't going to testify. And then I found out she was trying to pin the murder on my brother, who is also a veteran. She was trying to say it was his PTSD that got him to kill her husband. And so when I heard she was trying to pin on my brother, I went and testified against her in court. And she was found guilty and sentenced to 60 years in prison. And so all of that, right, I shared that story, obviously, over an hour um, to explain, like, look, I went through all of these crazy things and I'm still here. And I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I'm not going to, I don't have my Rolex anymore. I don't drive a Mercedes. I'm not hanging out on yachts with millionaires anymore. But you know what I am? I'm a family man. I've got three kids, the fourth on the way. I've got a roof over my head, a vehicle I can drive, and I, a great job. So it's kind of like I would share that story just to show people like, look, if I can go through all of that craziness and still come out on the other side, so can you. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, I, I mean, that, I feel like your, your life already is like a, uh, uh, ready for a movie script. Uh, and, and hopefully, well, not hopefully, and with a happy ending, right? Um, so so just looking through your background too, you also did some work with Austin School of Film. What, what was that? And um, maybe give that story. Yeah, that Austin School of Film. So that was, we were making a documentary whenever I was on my tour. Uh, so I... Getting that media exposure, we built a nonprofit that was umbrellaed under the Austin School of Film uh, to make a documentary. I jumped in a tour bus and we traveled around the country uh, doing speaking engagements to nonprofit organizations, veteran groups and stuff like that. And we took a documentary crew. We were making a documentary um, and we we're halfway through it. And then, it, you know, everything had to go to a pause because money situation but again, PR brought in a $20,000 donation from one family in Austin, uh, the Tomlin family. And they saw me on, on the Austin American Statesman and made a $20,000 donation, which made that all happen, right? But I didn't own a nonprofit. So we just did it under the Austin School of Film because we were trying to make a documentary. Very cool. So public speaking, that's, you know, like people's like number one fear, right? Like how, how did you start? How did you get good at it? How did you start? Um, let's start there, I guess. So I didn't join Toastmasters. <laughs> nothing against those guys at all, but I didn't. Uh, you know, when I went into public speaking, I didn't use PowerPoint. I've never once on any stage used PowerPoint presentations, not once. Um, and the reason behind that is I believe it bores people. And so I wasn't educating. I was storytelling. There's the different types of public speaking, right? There's the educational side or just the storytelling. I was storytelling. I didn't need slides. And what I did was my first time speaking was in front of 20 people for a nonprofit group in New Orleans who saw me on the news and invited me out. And I cried uh, during that speaking engagement, right? Because it's my first time telling my story. It was, it was a big deal. So I cried at that one. Uh, and then every month I kept getting more invites to get speaking and more invites. And again, going back to free work, the first three months, I wasn't getting paid by these nonprofits to speak there. I used that $20,000 donation to travel and speak to nonprofits and impact people's lives and make a documentary. 
and then after a few months of free work and more media exposure, the paid engagements from the United States military started coming in and they were actually paying me. Uh, but every time I didn't practice, I just spoke from the heart, right? And every time I would record it and I would watch it and I'd be like, okay, I need to do this with my hands. I need to stop saying, um, or, uh, so much. If you realize while I'm doing this podcast, you're not hearing me say, um, or, uh, and that's because I've been a public speaker since 2013. So that's seven years of speaking. You've learned to get those words and those pauses out of your vocabulary, right? But most of us humans will get up on stage and be like, uh, um, or we'll just pause, like, and, and we stutter and we kind of get lost in what we're heading and what we're saying. So it just, every time I spoke was just a practice. Um, but for me, it was easy because I'm an attention whore. So speaking for me has never been a challenge. You know, that, that is interesting. So one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to enhance my speaking skills, uh, to network better as well. But one of the things is, is, and I, so I have a photo video company since 2009 called Colored Lion. So I have a team of people with that, that, that can edit this for me, that can film it, all that one I, I wanted to do on my own because scheduling, right? I don't want to have to wait, you know, juggle two or three people's schedules to get here to, to film as well. But also is I painstakingly go through the podcasts and listen to myself, you know, not only, not only just for to remove filler words, you know, to stop doing that, but also, you know, to pay attention, to be a better listener to, you know, so I think your answer there was, other than the fact that you just storytelling, talking from the heart was easy, but also practice does make perfect or practice makes you better at least. And I've gotten exponentially better at a lot of these areas, still have a ton to work on. Um, but putting yourself in a position to be successful as well sometimes brings out the best in you, getting in front of those 20 people. It's, a lot of times it, it just makes you better. Um, well, go ahead. Just go ahead. To add into that, you know, the public speaking side, I think a lot of people see it as a profession. But all you have to do is be a human, right? So when you get on stage, I've watched public speakers for many years, right? I've attended conferences. I've held conferences. I've been in the entrepreneur game for a while now. So I've seen them. I've seen every type of speaker. I've seen the entertainer. And I've seen the person who literally reads word for word off of every single slide deck, right? And the best way I can explain it is... It's just like talking to someone sitting down at coffee, right? You don't pull a PowerPoint out and read word for word while you're sitting down with someone for coffee. You're just sitting down with a hundred people for coffee, right? My biggest audience was 8,000. Uh, honestly, the bigger crowds are easier than the smaller ones because the bigger crowds is a blur. The smaller ones, you're making a little more eye contact and you can see a little and it's a little more, uh, you're, you're a little more focused, right? And a little more wondering what people are thinking. 8,000 is cool. The coolest thing is when 8,000 people do a standing ovation, that feeling, it, it cannot beat any feeling I've ever had business-wise. Just that roar of the clapping and, and people chose to stand up and clap. Like it's, a, it's like a drug. Like I, in that moment, you can understand why rock stars and all these people fall into different bad things. Cause it's like, they're trying to recreate that feeling, that energy they get from that crowd, you know? Yeah. And so you know, I do have a big, uh, and uh, I don't know, on film you'll be able to see it, but I have this kind of podcast document of these questions as a crutch. But, and that's just because I like to prepare, but what happens is you don't end up not needing these things, but I, I like it as a crutch. So sometimes maybe when I do a PowerPoint presentation, maybe it's just something in case I lose my train of thought, I can look at something and go, okay, this is where I'm supposed to go. Um, but, 
to me, I, I also, I do like to be over-prepared a little bit, you know, to go into that. But if I, I feel like I interview, if I just read my questions would be terrible. Right. Oh, I've, I've done one. <laughs> right. Because there's a lot of these things that I don't know about you and, and it's coming up and, or just what, you know, if you say something that's interesting, like if I'm reading from my script, I'm going to not dive into that more. Um, so what, what's the f- future hold for you? What, what's, what's the next five years, 10 years? What, like what, what's, what, what's, what's going on? I am going to be an executive on Ruckify in 10 years from now, and my family is going to be sitting very pretty. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the plan. Uh, you know, on, honestly, I'm not just saying that because I work for Ruckify, right? It's, I really believe that this is my career path, that this is my future. Uh, and the reality is, is just like an entrepreneur, I'm in control of whether I keep this job or not, or I'm in control whether Ruckify succeeds in Austin or not. I'm in complete control of that. And I take that very serious. And it's like, I know when I prove myself to this company, which I've done already in, ma- in many ways, right? But I'm going to continue to do. Uh, what I want now is I want to wake up excited to do the job that I do. And I want to wake up knowing that every two weeks, there's steady m- money coming into my bank account. And I want to wake up knowing that you know I can turn off my computer and spend some time with my kids and that all of the stress and financial stress doesn't just fall on me, right? As an entrepreneur, I never had a large team. I and mean, we have a large team with Ruckify. My largest team was, you know, maybe 10. Uh, and that was, it, it was all on me, right? And it's just, I guess it's kind of nice to breathe again, uh, not being an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, uh, running mm-hmm. a business by myself. So I'm just, uh, the next 10 years, I'm going to focus on being a good dad, uh, spending more time with my kids. and being financially stable while they're young. I love it. So what advice would you give your 16 year old self? Right. And I know that's all you've done a, a lot since, since then. And how old are you now? I'm, I'm 31, 31. So ha- half your life, you know, you're 16. It was, ha- you know, only half your life happened. So what, what advice would you give your 16 year old self? Get ready. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I would, because, you know, I, I don't think I would have changed anything or prepared myself for anything. To be honest, the, the business failure with the PR side was hard. Uh, it was impactful. I upset a lot of people. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't discredit any of that. And I don't blame that on anyone besides myself. That is all on me. Uh, but you know what? I needed to experience that. I needed that experience to grow. I don't think I, I, I wouldn't go back and change my mistakes or the screw ups or spending money where I shouldn't have or any of that because it, it, it was what I needed. And, you know, the war, the prostitution, the, the suicide, the murder, the, all that stuff, it just, it built me into who I am. So I think the only advice I would tell myself is get ready. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, don't, warn, don't warn myself about anything. I love it. And so what are you proudest of? You know, I'm proudest of my kids. Um, and it's just the fact that I've created a lifestyle for them where they will never have to live what I did. Uh, and, and that's because of me. If I lost this job tomorrow, I'd make money the next day. Uh, as the entrepreneur in me, my family will never go hungry. They will never need money. Uh, even if I lose a job, I will always make money. Uh, and it's because I, I'm just an entrepreneur by heart, right? And I will find a way, even a coronavirus, a pandemic, a depression, a recession, throw it all at me. I will find a way 
to make money and take care of my family. So I'm, I'm proudest of, for myself, I'm proud of myself as a father, but what I'm proudest of the most are my kids and how beautiful they are, how sweet and, and caring they are and how smart they are. When this virus is over, what do you guys kind of have a plan of attack that you guys want to go do for Ruckify here in Austin? Like what, what, what is that? I mean, what do you guys, what would you like to do? Or maybe be a better question. <laughs> yeah, we want to open up a headquarters here, right? So we were going to open up a headquarters here. My CEO was in town in March um, and he had to fly back home before they closed the borders, you know? So he flew in before coronavirus was like a big thing and then had to fly out right after it became a big thing. So we want to go back to creating a headquarters in Austin. Uh, we want to do our launch party like we had planned. We have 40 bikes that we're giving away to the city of Austin, but we're not doing that until like July. Um, you know, no, no point right now. Uh, but we want to, the original plan, we're just going to do again uh, in the middle of the year when all this, if it's subsided by the middle of the year. Right. So any, any mentors, anybody you looked up to, anybody that's made a big impact for you in your life? You know, I've been asked that question many times. I had no exact mentors directly. Um, you know, the biggest thing that kept me going and motivated was reading stories like Damon John, uh, Mark Cuban, um, hearing from people that came from nothing uh, and, and created something for themselves. That is the one thing. It, like they were no, none of them were direct mentors, uh, but they were definitely people who I looked to and was like, you know what, if they did it, right, they're not special. There's nothing different about them. There's nothing that differs me from them. Uh, if they did it, then I know I can. And that's what kept me motivated to keep going. All right. Last question. How would you like to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as an influencer. And it sounds egotistical, and I'll explain why. Uh, for my kids, I don't want them to remember dad. Uh, I quit being an entrepreneur because my tombstone would have read, had a great work ethic, right? My kids would... They didn't get any time with me. I was working 18 to 20 hour days and I still work a lot with Ruckify, right? But I don't travel as much. So what I would want to be remembered by is a, as an influencer who made an impact because that's something my kids could be proud of, right? Something that my kids could go and say, dad did this. Uh, and I don't know what that impact is yet. I just know it's what I want. I love it. Andrew, you were a fantastic guest. You blew me away. Thank you so much for being on the Establishing Your Empire podcast. Thank you for having me. All uh, right. Cheers, man.